0: The Big Light presents.
1: Hello, I'm Sean McDonald and you're listening to Blethered on the Big Light Network. My guest is Holly McDonald. In this episode, we discuss adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs, and how they can shape the rest of your life without you ever realising. Ollie talks about a brother and how losing his grandfather resulted in a catalogue of difficult experiences for him and the family. And we speak about the cycle of offending in prison and how a different approach would help remove people from that chain. And as always, there's plenty more. this episode is brought to you by debt experts don't fret about debt if you're struggling with debt and would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly payments towards debt then visit don't fret about debt.net forward slash bleddered. you can also listen to my episode of don't fret about debt senior debt advisor Tommy Gallagher, where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available don't fret about Debt Offer, all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice, so take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. Right, best question to open up. Yeah. Can you define aces for me?
0: Oh okay so to define aces would be stands for adverse childhood experiences and it's any experience that causes someone you know it could be through emotional neglect or um, just problems in your life Um, so examples of some aces would be parental separation, losing someone, um, family imprisonment, someone with mental health in the household Physical or emotional neglect. Um, it's the list has even been widened out to if you've got experience of bullying or even witnessing community violence. So actually, when you start to hear that list, probably you're already thinking of people that have quite a few experience of ACEs.
1: Is it is it always a really extreme thing, or can there be sort of things that we might deem to be somewhat trivial? innocuous like you said community violence so that could be like witnessing a pretty brutal fight so can it be smaller things that can grate on a person's psyche as well as like a massive thing
0: absolutely i think i will admit that i was quite naive to aces and the relevance that it had to even my life personally because i just thought oh an adverse childhood experience that must be like you know the really tough stuff that people go through but then to think well you know just thinking of my social group, well, divorce common, and as you said, the kind of trivial things. If you've, we think about Scotland, you know, you've got the mental health rates, you've got family members in prison, you've got the the drug crime across society, you've got all these different things. So actually, they're probably more relevant to a lot of people mm-hmm. than what we would think.
1: Now that we've kind of get that out of the road. Well, not out of the road, but we've got <laughs> we've got that addressed. Yep. We'll, we'll come back to that, so we're going yep. to speak about you. Mm-hmm. So tell me a wee bit about where, where you grew up. It was Falkirk, you said.
0: Absolutely. So I'll stay near Falkirk. Um, I originally was born up near West Lothian, and right. then we've moved down to Falkirk. Um, spent a lot of time in Glasgow, because that's where my grandparents are based. Um, so while my mum was at work, we would spend a lot of time with my grandparents and just such a big part of our lives. Mm. Um, so that's why it was such a big impact five years ago when um, we lost my granddad just suddenly. Um, so for my little brother, he had my granddad as his positive more, male role model, sorry, um, the guy he looked up to. So suddenly from the cancer diagnosis to losing him, it was such a quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that kind of spiraled all of the stuff that has brought me to where, um, where, I'm, where, where I'm today.
1: What age, if you don't mind me asking, what was your brother when that happened?
0: Yeah, so he was about 14, 13, just turning 14 years old.
1: Like, it, it's no, you might be aware of this, you might not. It's something that is a kind of running theme, a running joke through the blethered. It's like my grandpa is, was my, yeah or is still like my main role model. And I can, it's not about me, but just hearing that, and like, I can. I can only imagine what that would have done to me. Yeah. What What was this sort of, or what were the ramifications or the sort of knock-on effects on on your brother when that kind of happened?
0: Well, I must admit, see, at first, we were also caught up in our own grief that we didn't actually recognise what effects it was having for him mm. um, because it's a mostly female family. We were, not to be sexist or anything, but, do you know, we were honest about our emotions we were talking about it we were not afraid to cry and he kind of dealt with it in a different way he kept himself busy and he would go out and he would meet new friends and he would be out all the time and when you're 14 years old you'll know yourselves like your peer influences it's massive well what are your pals doing what do they find takes their mind off things and just it happened to be at the time that that was drugs and you know he started to try different things and um whilst we were caught up in the whole complexity of grief and we were also busy trying to piece back our lives that had been pulled apart, um, we'd failed to notice actually how low he'd been getting and at 14 years old, you know, he got himself into some pretty bad drug debt and it just, it continually spiralled to the point where social work had to intervene and um, he became part of the children's hearing system and...
1: How how does it is that like the children's panel so you've yeah, kind of you yeah. commit an offence and you yep. appear before them? Absolutely. Um I mean, I, again not not trying to turn anything to me, but just it, there's so many that like hearing that I'm like I recognise those patterns in myself a wee yep. bit. Yeah. Not to that those extremities, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I suppose it comes down to if ever I'm if I've been down or stressed or not in a good place, I tend to think Oh, what's going to switch the mind off a bit? It tends to be nights out, like yep. going out drinking, and um, mm-hmm. I mean to be doing that at that young age. You're kind of like it's kind of as if you're bypassing the smaller introductions to that and just like right, right into the heavy stuff. Do you mind me asking what the the drugs were or what the drug issues were?
0: Um, so this is the thing because I actually being so naive at the time, I had tried to work out what it was that he was getting involved in, um, but I know that. I'm probably the worst person to ask for this, but there was a lot... Considering the amount of money that was involved, I think there was selling involved, there was... He was take, he was trying substances, coming home. Um, I mean, I'll never forget there was... My brother came home 14 years old under the influence of whatever it was um, and he managed to pull the banister out the stairs. And... But he just had the strength, like, he was he was in a different mindset and I think I was so naive before that I thought that um you know someone with a drug problem or someone that takes drugs like oh, just stop taking them or mm. just go and do something else find the hobby like I was so naive but to see this 14 year old boy have a genuine genuine problem and like he would get so upset and he would say but I've not got this money and I need to give these people this money by this point and like we just felt so helpless because it was me and my mum and we thought we don't have a clue about what we do in this situation. Um, And I think that obviously the police start to get involved and um, when he doesn't realise his own strength, he does, he got involved with things that accidentally um, would have ruined his life. Mm -hmm. He was just fortunate that, and I don't know if this is common knowledge, but because it wasn't to me until I got involved with it, but, because he wasn't 16 yet, all of the criminal charges that he got were wiped. So he was getting himself... Do you know, he could have done anything. And at that time, I will selfishly admit, I was like, I wish he hurries up and gets charged for something.
1: Like, yeah, you thinking that's how he'll learn. Or...
0: Yeah, it's like people are saying, oh, let him be the big man, let him go and learn the hard way and all that stuff. And it's like, yes, but he gets classed as a, as a child and young person. And...
1: Yeah. I, I mean... He, I I can understand why somebody would say like let them learn the hard way or mm-hmm. let them go and be the big man, and I suppose because I'm in the mindset right now and the, the, looking it through the prism of yeah you know, there's something deeper than it I find myself being more compassionate, but there'll be other instances where I'll think, and in general I could go what are we
2: think, mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: but the reality is now, now that we are speaking about it and that you're kind of highlighting it from that perspective that. When somebody's behaving like that, there, there is most likely a whole raft of things going on. I mean, was he able to, to exp- like start to acknowledge that or express that? Or was it a kind of, did he have to learn the hard way through? You know, I've you got here the compulsory supervision order.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He did have to learn the hard way. And unfortunately, at that time, he was in a position where, um, and sadly, I know this is the case so many examples, but... He didn't see it as a problem. He mm. didn't want help. And you can't help someone who doesn't want that help.
1: Getting to get to a rock bottom.
0: Yeah. It's like you can shout from the rooftops, you can bring all the organisations to someone, but you can't make them accept if they don't see it as a problem. And he didn't at the time. Um, but he uh-huh, he was given a compulsory supervision order, which basically it sets there's some guidelines that are agreed and as long as he follows those agreements then like the local authority the social worker will work to try and give him the help that he needs sort of yeah. thing um every situation's different but in his example it was that he had to go and live elsewhere um in a sort of children's home as such right. um with other children from different they all had different reasons being there um but you know, he was given a bedroom, he was given a weekly allowance, he was given different stuff. Um, they put him through the Tigers programme, which tries to get them into employment and stuff like that. But at the same time, the whole drug side of it, it was still there, it was still involved.
1: Was it like unaddressed.
0: Yeah, and I think, obviously, those other individuals that were there with him at that time, it's like bringing loads of similar young people in the same boat and they're like, oh, what do you like doing? Oh, well, I like smoking a bit of this. Oh, well, I like smoking yeah. a bit of this. I want to just go out the back and do that. And it's like, you try and, again, you try and expect them to achieve an end goal, but then you don't give them...
1: Put them in an environment with people surrounding each other. They're all counterproductive to to that aim. I suppose I, I don't, I'm not going to sit and use it as an opportunity to bash any local authorities and things... They develop and evolve, and they improve through time, but uh, there is something quite funny and it I don't mean this disrespectfully, but it's like right let's put eight young head cases in together <laughs> who you know they all need they're yeah. all they' all, they've all got their issues like you know they all need um sort of individual yeah. assistance and then just to lump them all in and yeah, is um again not to use it as an opportunity to bash anybody, do you think they could do you think they could have done things a lot better? That's how, That's a very broad question. No, I, do you, yeah. Do you, do, you, do you see a lot of flaws through your studies and that where you think, hmm, mm-hmm. you maybe should have done mm-hmm. X, Y and Z differently and do you know if they have changed their procedure?
0: Uh, absolutely. It's all high and mighty me sitting here saying, oh, they should have done this differently, they should have done that. But that was a huge part of the motivation leading me to where I am just now. Becoming a primary teacher and seeing someone struggling and seeing families struggling, I think... I always remember, and this is something that'll never ever leave me, we were part when part of all this was happening, we went to a children's hearing meeting and we were sitting on the pat the panel were there and they were essentially making the decision whether my brother would return home at any point or whether further intervention was required, the monitoring his progress and all of that. And that in itself, it's weird because I think see as a professional, right, I enjoy it and sometimes I'm part of meetings where I'm making decisions about children's futures but I see to be on the other side of that meeting it opened my eyes so much because a guy turned around and said to us he looked at my mum and he looked at myself and my brother and he said do you know we don't normally get families like yours in here and I've spoke about it to a few close people and they've reassured me that he probably meant it in a good way but I just got my back up and I thought what, were you expecting us to, you know, roll in here like an episode out of certain like total punch and lumps at each other? Like an
1: episode of Shameless or yeah. something. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, uh-huh. And it's just like, well, what do you mean by that? And it stuck with me and I thought, do you know, does that just mean that you presume that it's only the people from the deprived areas that have the problems bad enough,
1: mm.
0: you know, to... Yeah, there
1: is, there is like a... I suppose like a prejudice where you think, right, if... If somebody from an affluent or a, or a sort of seemingly um, well put together home mm-hmm. has an issue, then oh, it's just one of those things. Yeah, I, I sort of well, it's like oh, that's a shame. This isn't normal. But if it's somebody from a an area that would maybe be described as being deprived, and it's oh well, that's just how they behave. And that's how we that's how we expect them to do things. Um, this is a very broad question. Do you think? Oh, back then, looking at the process and this will be relevant as we go on uh, further on the conversation, do you think there was a compassion lacking or do you think they would just look at somebody as, what have you done and what is your reaction? And not a sort of, what could have caused this? Because, you know, listening now and with the benefit of hindsight, it seems as if your brother would have really benefited from bereavement counselling and understanding what had happened and maybe getting to grips with, as painful as it is, that is life unfortunately and not to say that's life so just got on with but just to go yeah this is one of those things
0: absolutely and I think what just thinking exactly as you've asked there there was every time we turned up to these children's panel meetings my it was almost like they came with this report and there was a note of every single instance of the maybe the criminal charges and you know it almost was like a background story because it would be different panel members every time. So you would have to sit and read through, but can you imagine someone had a a file and every meeting they brought up every single thing you'd done when you were not in a good place Mm -hmm. and then they expect to turn around and say, right, so what have you done to improve yourself? And you're sitting there at 14 years old and think, well, they're not going to want to listen to me now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that my brother did feel quite, not victimised, but just... I mean, I know myself, I didn't feel listened to at points. Um, And yeah, I think initially when we were going through it all, you know, you sit in this room and it's three random strangers that are actually making a decision that's going to change your life completely. But on a positive note, towards the end of my brother's experience, we got invited to this room and it was actually, unfortunately, the last meeting we ever went to. they changed it from a very sort of clinical here's a desk in between us you sit on this side we sit on that side with all our official documents and we make the decision and they actually changed it to like a living room setting um with cushions and but when you think i mean yeah my brother was 14 but you get children much younger that deal with that and you expect them to go into somewhere that straight away you walk into a room and you can see who's in power yeah. you know they're sitting and it's like thinking of all the times I've sat in a room like that and people have made decisions for them yeah so yeah I, I do think that um Scotland as a whole we're becoming so much more compassionate and a lot more ace aware but I think for me it's so interesting to have been on that other side
1: mm. that's really great for your experience isn't it mm-hmm. do you remember what that feels like and you can you can sh- reshape um that sort of power dynamic maybe yeah. and and not to be like you're the baddie we're the goodie we're here to decide what your fate is going to be and more more of a intervention yeah. as we're going to talk about as as you've kind of discussed mm-hmm. um so at this point did you think i want where did that thought come from was i want to study this you know i want to i want to get involved in this was it from seeing this could be improved or like what was your thinking
0: truthfully, I needed something to keep me busy when Mm. it was all kind of, when it was all up in the air and we didn't know, do you know, my brother was away for a year and a half. We had Christmas without him. We would have to phone and book an appointment to go and visit him. And it was really hard. And my mind just was racing at the time. And I was at university doing primary teaching and I I needed a purpose. Like I needed something to keep me busy. Mm. So when it came to writing my dissertation, it was just, It was inevitable for me. I wanted to look at how bereavement, grief and loss impacts children because I know that experiencing the loss of someone as an adult, I couldn't deal with it. So how are we expecting young children who have no understanding to deal with it? Um, So then that kind of opened up my interest in adverse childhood experiences and trauma because you know although loss people presume that as someone's passed away someone's died it could be that you could have parental imprisonment you know your dad gets arrested and goes away for a long time you're grieving that loss it's still so when I was made aware of all the different instances that are going on in children's lives and then looking back at my placement experiences and knowing that on average you walk into a class of say 25 30 children those children's experiences whether they're 5 or 10 or 15 whatever age they are there's always going to be a child in there that's dealing with way more than you can ever imagine
1: sorry that was my email buzzing there (laughs) um do you know when I first moved to Spain so I worked in a school Mm as a conversation assistant and I kind of went and I was getting to grips with being in a new country and stuff and there would be kids that would act up and I will be honest, I'd be like, privately, internally, I'd be mm-hmm. like, What are we dick? Yeah. And then I don't know what happened. I remember just seeing how we look in a kid's face once and being like, oh, like, shame on you, man. You don't know. You know, it could have been nothing, right? It could have been Some of them were just wee dicks. Like to be <laughs> yeah. honest. Some of them were just like insufferable. But there's <laughs> others we are like, these are thirty people, young people, they complex lives. I have got no idea what's going on. And I kind of then softened my approach. I was. I was never horrible. I've never seen it. To will just privately think. I don't like. it. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I, I. I. can't even remember what it was. But there was just something that maybe it was just like a sort of, a sort of light bulb moment. Um. How does your brother feel? when you? Because it's re, it's very relevant to your work. How does he feel? Mm-hmm. being spoken about. It must feel a wee bit sort of alien for him mm-hmm. to a degree.
0: It does, and it took us a while actually after he'd returned home and has been making so much progress and Mm. I think because I can sit here and confidently say that my brother's in such a good place now back then I would never have felt confident. I wouldn't have believed you if you had told me that, you know, he would be in a job and um, he would just be so happy again. He managed to find himself again, but we didn't speak about it for a while Mm. and we've never actually sat down as a family and been able to talk about it openly, but we talk about it, you know, my brother and I have got our relationship back. We're really close now, and funny enough, I was asking him last night, um, just going over things and um, getting an opportunity to talk about it, and I asked him, "See, when you were that wee guy, was it easier for you to talk to other men rather than all of your key workers being women coming in? And again, not to be sexist, but you know, as a wee boy, no, totally, aye. You know, anyway, no sexism, no, no any, and he says, actually." it was neither, it was just easier not to speak at all. Mm. Like, no, it wasn't. Because we we were convinced that it was that we needed to find a male role model and and get a guy to come in and say, right, mate, listen, let me take you and do this. Do you want to go and play a game of football and we can talk about it there or whatever? But he said, no, to be honest, it It might have seemed like that. Mm. But at the time, it doesn't really matter. And he knows that speaking on behalf of his friends, they're the same, that sometimes it is just easier to...
1: Yeah, like... From my memory, and I've had to think about this quite intensely because it's it was a long time ago, and I wasn't a bad wee guy. Um, I kind of messed about at school mm-hmm. and stuff, or a clash with my mom or that kind of thing. And people would, I, I've got memories of like, say, my uncle or my auntie or my grandpa or my mum or like a close family friend or whatever talking to me. And me just sitting there like a wall, of, not like a like being non-compliant or whatever, but a wall of silence.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: in my head, I'd be kind of be answering back, not answering back, but I'd be replying. I'd be kind of talking to me, and I would have these internal sort of rebuttals and responses. And but it wouldn't actually come out. Yeah, I can't explain why. I think it probably was just easier. I think as we all remember having. Again, I have to stress, not making this about me, but it's just <laughs> I can only share my Absolutely. experience, and I think there'll be a lot of people that'll be, I think, I think anyway, similar. And it was just, it was a, a lot of emotion, and maybe a lot of maybe things I was angry about or unhappy about, or things I thought I saw differently, and it was really emotionally because I remember a couple of times. This is a bit embarrassing, actually, but trying to speak and getting upset. Because I think you're overwhelmed with this processing and emotion and maybe it's like a transition from being a wee boy, into like a teenage boy as well and everything's tough and I would get annoyed at myself. You try and speak and I'd be like getting upset and i am like, why am I getting upset? Because I don't feel sad. Yeah. But it's probably this, your your emotions are like, whoa, like you're overwhelmed, you're processing a lot. So I would just kind of sit there
2: Yeah.
1: and then you'd be like thinking... He's not taking any of that Mm -hmm. in when it was in fact it was the opposite, and I think, God, that's even more for me to kind of think about now. Yeah. And you just kind of shut off. I think I'm probably I'm probably still a wee bit like that.
0: But see, when you just said that, that's so interesting because instantly when you were describing that, my mind went straight to my brother in that children's panel setting, 14 years old. And when they offloaded all this information and said, Right, so X, Y, and Z has occurred since this date, and this is what we're doing, and then everyone would get their bit in and then they would turn to him as the focus of the meeting and go what's your response
1: yes a total piling i I, I can remember times when we told you've done this you said this (laughs) you're like this you're like that and you're like fucking hell man what would i I say what (laughs) what is the response how about (laughs) you just shock it and just say you're a total prick what is your reply Aye, and you're like
0: no comment <laughs>
1: aye. I don't really have one to be honest like I kind of disagree but I'm 13 and, and I I'm don't not... really
0: have the vocabulary yeah
1: I'm not quite eloquent enough yet uh, to to sort of list out my argument I mean if you come to me like at the age I am now as an adult come to me up like How do the fuck? I'll turn into Harvey Spector if <laughs> <tough> he <his sits. laughs> and I'll like rebuff everything you said but it, it's difficult you're asking somebody to like process all this
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Poor wee guy, man. I don't mm-hmm. mean that's patronising me. Probably no, just but... needed a hug. He probably Absolutely. just needed somebody to be like, "Look, it's f- t- yeah, you're right to be raging, mm-hmm. and you're right to want to silence your mind a wee mm-hmm. bit, or or to switch switch yeah. that off." I, one analogy I've or example I've used is, and and I get it. I remember Christmas twenty eighteen. And I had just come back for spare. I was here for a bit and I was struggling to adjust and it I was hating work, I was hating everything. And I had I was going away. I was in uh, this is quite a funny sense to say I was going to Rio de Janeiro for Christmas and mm-hmm. I was totally down. But people are like "How's?" it's a great example of you feel how you feel.
2: Exactly. And
1: I so I had an early Christmas at my mum's and I remember just drinking Coronas until I stopped feeling the way I was feeling. Until and it did start to stop. Mm-hmm. But then the next day, it's fucking terrible. It's even worse because I have borrowed, I've dipped into my happiness overdraft.
2: Yeah. And then I
1: owe the hell of a lot back the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's me with relatively not that many problems, I can't even imagine how some poor wee guy at 13 or 14 is feeling when your whole world is ripped apart and mm-hmm. turned upside down. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear things are i can kind of going better for him.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, as a 14-year-old guy, he would sit there and his response would be, you can imagine a lot of 14-year-olds doing this, but he would shrug his shoulders. Yeah. Because he wouldn't even want to come out and say, I don't know, I don't know how to respond to tell me, for you telling me I'm not returning to my family household for at least a year. Fuck,
1: that is horrendous. Yeah. That is, like, that's a jail sentence. Ah,
0: it, uh-huh. it was. It, it felt like having to ask to go and visit him And it wasn't as if he could just say, do you know, and when he initially started to come back home, it was supervised visits. So he never came alone. He came with an adult that supervised him in his own home, making sure he wasn't up to anything. That's horrible. And I remember, you know, you were saying it earlier on about how, you bring all of these vulnerable children with all these experiences together and you put them in the one place.
1: I shut the door, go, out, go, <laughs> and then like,
0: go, Start have flying a, a grenade. in Exactly. Cause my mum had been really worried. She thought being just the lovely woman that she is, she was like, Oh no, I hope he's not going to go in and be the bad influence, like the instigator. And actually he was like a small fish in a big pond. Like mm. she, if anything, he learned some things that he hadn't actually known before, you know, going yeah. there. Um, but nah, it's, it's mental to think, but it's so, so good now that I'm at that place where I can refer to my brother as being, you know, the 19 year old that's, he's recently got a motorbike. He's sort of loving, like pouring all his energy into that. Um, and yeah, he's just, he just wants to do car mechanics. Like he's doing so well, he's mm-hmm. getting hands on. But that's another thing that he said that. Sitting here as a school teacher, like I will say with pride that he admits school wasn't for him. Like he can he could not sit in a classroom, he could not learn. And I think that's where he started to feel a bit misunderstood because at the time when we'd lost my granddad, my brother, I just remembered it instantly. I mean, we went to the same high school, and when I was at school, I loved it. And I would like to think I've done quite well in different subjects. Whereas my brother was the opposite, he was a little shit. Mm. And the minute they could send him elsewhere, they did. And I know that they have to do that sometimes. But when you think of him, right, he's lost his father figure. School doesn't want him. He can't get a job. And his friends are saying, mate, try a bit of this, try a bit of this. And then he realizes that he's in so much debt money that he's going to need to start, you know, finding crazy ways of getting money to clear it. Are you surprised that he's shrugging his shoulders in this meeting?
1: Yeah, absolutely not. Do you think, does he feel like a, a victim of the, of the failure of the system?
0: I know that there's a lot of anger um, and that he would voice at the time that it was just so unfair. And it was, it felt so unfair because I don't mean to be offensive when I say this, but... Again, see when you're on this side of, of the table, as I, as I would say,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you get a sign of social worker, right? And you think that that social worker's there to help and get your brother back to your family. But I remember one Friday, it came to like half past four and the woman finished her shift. And that was when Fridays were bad because Fridays were like money was due and it all kicked off. And it all kicked off about six o'clock and it was like, but she's finished. Like mm. her shift finishes, of course her work hours finish, but our hell's just starting. And it was like that kind of awakening moment of shit. But then it's a hard one. Cause you can't just, you know, you need a cutoff point, but yeah.
1: then. That, yeah. Yeah. It's quite complex. And I suppose it would come back to the thing of, is it a job or is it a vocation? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are you just clocking in? And again, that person could turn around and say, my life is really stressful yep. and I need my time. And the, I suppose it just, it's, understanding compassion mm-hmm. sympathy for mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. just a bit of i don't know an arm around the shoulder proverbial or, or physical mm-hmm. an arm around the shoulder um because i'm trying to think i was about to jump on to the the sort of discussion of of early intervention but mm-hmm. has as your brother considered or, or undertaken any counseling now that things are kind of in the past because that in itself you know, it was an adverse childhood experience that caused all of that. That in itself is one fucking major adverse childhood yeah, experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He hasn't, and I think I'm probably to blame for it because my mum and I went to counselling sessions and don't get me wrong, I didn't just go to one and think, nah, it's not for me. I have tried several different, you know, counselling whatever my mum didn't really get anything out of it and I went and I started to get something out of it but I think my brother's not ready to talk about it with the people that he loves and is closest to yes it might be that whole anonymous I'll come and just offload onto you but I don't know I I wonder if it's maybe that he's still a bit young I mean he's 19 now and that
1: is young and that's yeah you can be so mature and well-rounded in some ways and there are others that just takes a bit of time to yeah. catch up and it's completely normal. Um, I speak again, speaking for experience. It's only in the last couple of years that I've found the resolve to be mm-hmm. able to, because there are things that bother me, I feel like way, way back, years back. There's things, are there, and there were things, this is funny, there were things that used to just randomly pop into my head out of nowhere and I'm like, where the hell did that come <laughs> from? And it was like, Sometimes just the most minor of of grievances or things that mm-hmm. had bothered me. I'd never expressed it, and I learned how to be, different ways that worked for me to to kind of say that out loud and you know the funny thing is there were things that I thought about for fifteen, twenty years, ten years, eight years, and they were be in my mind all the time, and I can't remember what they were mm-hmm. It's like having this we i don't know. A backpack full of, you know, all these tiny, if you put in these teeny, teeny wee stones that on their own, they're nothing. But when you add them all together, that's a heavy weight. And it's like, get into the bag, getting one of these wee pebbles, mm-hmm. throw it away. And then you're like, mm-hmm. I can't even remember what that was now. Yeah. And by the way, I've got a whole fucking load more. If anybody, <laughs> well, pals of mine have to sit and listen to them. I'm not like, I'm not like, I, I make myself sound like you're right? I'm not. But <laughs> even i don't even see it as a complaint i don't see it as like oh listen to this thing i want to moan about mm-hmm. sometimes i mention it we might laugh and then that's it it's yeah. kind of gone but it, it that kind of takes time i think in time he might also feel a great sense of guilt
2: mm-hmm. of
1: what he's i don't mean if he's listening i don't mean what put, you put know, yeah, what he put his family absolutely. through but he'll be like Oh as he's growing and he's got older he's like i fucking wish i wish i didn't do that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unfortunately he did i suppose Mm-hmm. He's he'll have learned a great deal from it, and over time he might even look back and say, "Well, I regret the way it panned out, but I'm glad for the lessons that were learned."
0: Absolutely, and he does want to get to that place where, you know, a couple of years down the line, if there was an opportunity where he could, ironically, counsel other people, like he would speak about it, he would like to do that. And it's funny because once my brothers had a wee drink it will open up about it a bit more. It's obviously something that he's not just totally comfortable about yet Yeah. to openly sit and talk sober about it. But I can see him taking it under his stride and, and you know, doing good things with it because he will love to advise other people, but I know that I'm similar to that. I could sit and help someone about their problems all day long, mm-hmm. ask me to self-reflect on my own problems. And...
1: Yeah, you're like... <laughs> You're looking at the king of that, by the way. <laughs> you're looking at the king. Honestly, I, t- I can completely relate. I think, you know, a lot of people are like that and you do want help, but I suppose when it's like, when it is asked to reflect on your own, and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, you have to, whether it's acknowledge your own feelings, mis- of which we all have them, you know, feelings, misgivings, things that you've done wrong, we've all done it, and that then becomes uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, do you think, when it's helping other, people's, other people with their things or whatever they may be, that there is a sense of you're also getting to process your own without directly acknowledging it.
0: Absolutely. Definitely, and I think it's funny that you say that because I even tell uh, my last class that I had, it was loads of nine-year-olds, and I would say to them, you know, use the whole, oh, my friend has this scenario, (laughs) and you use the whole roundabout way of actually seeking advice for yourself. But it's weird how it suddenly becomes that, you know, less pressure when you're using this made-up example of some random art. Even it can be Mm -hmm. the exact same situation, but yeah, yeah, it's weird.
1: It's maybe come. There's probably some sort of correlation between the psychology of that, of Mm -hmm. talking about something but it not being you, and the anonymity that people have online, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: whether for good or for bad, and they feel that, oh, this doesn't come back to me. The the spotlight is not on me, therefore I feel... It's this abstract thing and I feel more comfortable. Whereas when you put... People face to face, of again, online, people they'll, they'll, they'll act very differently, they'll behave very differently. Yeah. And there's a whole thing of is the spotlight on me, is this reflecting on me? Um, to, can I move further on, right? So, mm-hmm. to the ACEs, so in terms of what you've got, well, you have fantastic notes which you've helped <laughs> me out here. So, ACEs examples parental separation, yep. bereavement, a family member in prison, a parent with a mental health condition, physical or emotional neglect, physical or sexual abuse community violence those are the kind of more heavy ones but you even mm-hmm. mentioned um drug taking or excessive alcohol mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. in the house you know somebody seeing a parent drunk a lot can really unsettle you you'll get some people that get even as adults they get really angry when they see their mom or dad drunk yeah and you might not even understand why Like it grates on them can't mm-hmm. stand to be near you yeah maybe it take probably takes them back to to seeing, I don't know, seeing that, because I know people that, they don't mind seeing drunk people, but when it's their mum or their dad, they get raging. Uh They probably don't know why.
0: Absolutely. And even, just to think of where Scotland stands just now, um, because I was having a look before I came along today, to see if there's been a recent publication, but because of COVID, the last statistics we've got is back in 2019. So Mm. if you think that back in 2019... Just over one in seven adults reported having four or more of those ACs that you mentioned. But ver- verbal abuse being something that affects half of them. So often you you walk past verbal abuse in the street, mother and child, and you don't think anything of it. But to think if that's 2019, now fast forward throughout lockdown, you're stuck in the house with the same people. And I know that from a an education perspective that... There are people who are aware that there's actually going to be a lot more coming up from the surface that has been on during lockdown mm-hmm. because f- lockdown was hard for everyone. Never mind people with that added, you know, experience going on in the household.
1: The um you've got as well, you've you've got written down here, and I won't take um I won't take credit for this research, this is yours. <laughs> but those in deprived areas are twice as likely to have four or more. Mm-hmm. And those can result, those four or more adverse childhood experiences can result in smoking, uh, obesity, poor mental health, prison, Mm -hmm. I suppose alcoholism, various other things, unsociable, antisocial behaviour, if you want to call it. Um, And I suppose, I mean, I don't know if you have like a more forensic and detailed insight, but my assumption would be there are already a hell of a lot more stressors, and those things then just will naturally combine to have a a worse outcome if you will.
0: Absolutely even from there's a woman Nadine Burke Harris who kind of started this whole ACEs revolution in Scotland because she studied in America the impact between someone's early childhood experiences and the impact that it has on a lifelong effect and she explains that ACEs have a neurological hormonal and immunological consequence so you know, even if you've got one ace, or if, you've, if you're if you that person that finds yourself relating to four or five or six of these things, that's massive. And for people, you know, it's so common, especially, I don't know if it's Scottish culture, I don't know what it is, but so many people have turned around and said, oh, but that's just the way it is. Like, yeah. it's, it's just my childhood or, oh, I know my mum, oh, I know this happened, but so what, like... Actually, it's it's massive, and it's there's no shame in admitting that. Actually, I'm not happy with how things panned out, or maybe I would like to speak about it. And that's the whole when you were saying about the early intervention Mm -hmm. means early prevention, and speaking about it that it's it's massive, and it is, and it's that's what I say to the kids as well that I was teaching that if it's a problem to you, you don't need to justify it to me. Like, you. That's
1: a really good point. That's a really good point. If it's a problem to you, it's a problem to you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's, it might be something small, but if you feel it, you feel it. Um, that that That's a very common thing in arguments, isn't it? We hear with people we say, oh, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Well, for that person, if it is, then it is. It is. It's, um what you're saying about the, the you know, with that amount of people reporting that they've had four or more. We've all probably two mm-hmm. or three or Absolutely. four or five. Absolutely. A lot of us, I think you're very fortunate if you don't. Mm-hmm. and um it's I, I always sort of it doesn't get my back up but see the phrase be kind yeah hashtag be kind. <laughs> yeah. you're like it's just become this fuck it. do you know oh, what it's aye. like it is the modern day linguistic equivalent of the um live strong wristbands mm. and it's sort of now become like a symbolic thing mm-hmm. of be kind. people see it sort of mindlessly
0: oh absolutely but
1: i think the the premise or the concept is very much valid and valuable in the sense of i don't know if somebody snaps you like so I, here's a good example i'm so i can be so snide if i feel somebody's been cheeky to me or if i hold the door open and they don't say thanks mm-hmm. and i'm the i'll be the person that's so always like you're welcome <laughs> yeah. back. now often it will be somebody that's rude right but see recently yeah. i have started being like mate the world doesn't fucking revolve in you <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's hard though to remember that it sometimes. Is, it is. And I just
1: now and again do it. And I, you know, somebody could walk past me in a your days, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're welcome. And <laughs> I walk away and I'm like, fucking
0: asshole.
1: <laughs> How do I know that they've not I just know. had earth shattering news? Absolutely. And there's another one, it's a guy that, I don't want to give too many details away, a guy that works in my gym. So if he's ever pushing his stuff about, mm-hmm. I always hold the door open for him. i like, can kind I of help him? I'm making it as if I'm Mother Teresa because I hold a door <laughs> for somebody, but I can always make a point of it. But the first couple of times he blanked me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I'd be again, I'd be like, ain't hey, no bother, mate. Like, yeah. just help you out with your work. You're like, just, I don't, don't so much as acknowledge me, that's mm-hmm. fine. And then there was just, I don't know, there was just this realisation where I was like, this fucking guy could be thinking about anything. He's absolutely grafting, he's panning. And then you've got me acting as if, like, I'm the centre of the universe and you must... Everything's up pure slight on me, so I, I yeah, I think just that acknowledgement that you don't know what's happening, and also I was going to say, don't lower your standards. No, but still, but... just be a, don't be don't be rude because somebody's been rude to you. So you're just you're doing what you yeah. complained about. That's a very roundabout way of me rambling on to say, yeah, you don't know what's happening in somebody's uh-huh. world.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, I l- couldn't agree with that more. I would advise people to not fall into the mistake that I had made several times was with that mindset of, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what's went on. And I got into a habit of putting everyone else's problems first Yeah, and not to contradict what I've just said, but yes, you, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated and hold doors open for people and remember your manners and all of that stuff. But, there was a time where I was like, right, well, I know that my friend's going through this and this person's going through this and this is happening at my work. And I just had burnout. Like I literally, I wasn't putting myself in any of the pecking order. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, how can I sit and think about what's going on in my life when they've got something? And, you know, there's there's always going to be someone that's problems are bigger and scarier and worse than yours, but that doesn't make your problems any less. And it's certainly no excuse to just think, oh, well, at least I've not got the yeah. shit that they're dealing
1: with. So having a broken leg and saying, well, at least they're both of them only <laughs> are their ca- broken. Yeah, I, who exactly. Was, uh, I think when I interviewed the girl, Zoe, about uh, she has the cancer gene, mm-hmm. yep. and we were talking about being an emotional support and being there for, for people that are unwell. And when she had to for her mum, yep. she spoke about guilt uh going out on nights out and stuff when yeah. her mum was really ill. And we kind of got round to the point of saying, you do need your own respite. And, you know, if you want to pour it into somebody else's cup, you have to first ensure that yours is topped up sufficiently or else, you know, you're no use to them and you're no use to yourself. And then it kind of actually just actually exacerbates the entire sort of situation and scenario. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's it's a very interesting sort of perspective on it. With the, we'll talk about early intervention in Mm -hmm. prisons. Yeah. So you've brought up the Compassionate Prisons Project, by Ace Aware Nation and Cisco. Mm-hmm. We'll go and talk about Cisco. It mm-hmm. brings together organisations to identify Scotland's stance with ACEs. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about the, the prison stuff. Yeah. And you know, the way that we, we look at prisoners mm-hmm. and the way people get trapped in this cycle of offending, jail, or offending, prosecution, yeah. jail. Get out, offend, prosecution, jail. And it's very easy to look at that and go, just a fucking nuisance. Just jail them. Yeah. When there could be an intervention point, mm-hmm. we are like, right, why is this happening? Why did it happen? Like, what? What is your sort of understanding and stance on that?
0: Yeah, I think. Well, first of all, to touch on that cycle, I know that you and other people on the podcast have spoken about that quite a lot and about that um, offending cycle and trying to break that. But I think, yeah, you're spot on when there's an offender who has committed a crime they've served their sentence whatever it's time to come out and you're expecting them to come back into society where there's no job waiting for them their family might not want anything to do with them anymore you know no one wants to just say oh just come and live with me for however long you need um so that's why for me it was so refreshing when I was starting to get in touch with people like Kevin Neary and people who run organisations like Aidan Abet, loads of different organisations and like Cisco that basically look at offenders and say, don't worry, we are here for you. And it's people who from their own experiences have felt that loneliness and yeah. felt that shame. And it's shameful enough to know that you're put away as a, you know, um, frowned upon member of society and then you're meant to just come back out and make the world of yourself and think oh I am going to do this 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 so I do think that what stuck out to me when I attended the compassionate prisons project was they brought over a woman called Fritzy Hortzman and she I don't know if you've ever seen that video but it's called step inside the circle and it was doing its rounds on Facebook and it comes up every now and again but she goes to a prison in America and they all start in a big circle around and she says, step inside the circle if you were ever shouted at as a child. Step inside the circle. And she goes on. Have you seen it? Are you, no, it I've not a bell seen it no? No. um, So, so powerful. And anyway, that kind of triggered the whole... ACs, what she was doing and she was able to attend and be a speaker at that event in glasgow a couple of months ago and what she said was having spoken with prisoners all across scotland within the Scottish scottish prison system but also in america you take two different prison experiences and the one thing that was coming up with the majority of prisoners was that when they looked back to their childhood they never felt loved mm. never felt listened to they were a burden And if you feel a burden at four years old and you're just a nuisance to your family and that your existence is just causing your parents' stress, your parents have got enough going on, what's your outlook going to be on life if you've then served, you know, six years in prison and you come out and people are saying, but you've made nothing of yourself. Like, you know, I just, I have a lot of respect for people who are able to take a bad situation and turn it to a positive because so easily we misjudge and i will put my hands up and say that i have previously before all my brother's experience i would misjudge people
1: me too
0: easily done but i think we are becoming a more compassionate society and i do hope that people do stop and think you know you've got it spot on when you hold that door open for that man it's like right well i guess it's just having that bit of awareness and if someone's got the confidence to open up to you and say what they've been going through, it's having the right the right response. Um
1: yeah. Yeah. I think imagine you were to go and let's say you were walking the corridors of Berlin. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, I'm also people might misinterpret this. I'll make the point first and then I'll sort of right. caveat that. But I was going to say if you chap every door, it's it's highly unlikely that you're going to have a high amount of people saying, Yeah, no, life is great, I had all the opportunities in the world, I felt yep. very loved. There's always a trigger point. People who maybe work in Berlin and, and deal with these people every day uh, that are in there might think differently and say, no, I mean, these aren't great people. And, and they're probably not mutually exclusive. They probably aren't behaving greatly. They're maybe not interacting brilliantly. And it's not to say that we should just kind of go, oh, like a you pat in the yeah. head and go, off you go because you had it tough. More so, like, you're going to have to pay your, your debt back to society through being here mm-hmm. but while you're here let's work on some of these things so that absolutely. you're not just coming straight back through the door and i mean i'm not speaking as if i am absolutely no authority whatsoever um i don't have any prison experience or psycholo- um experience of a psychologist or anything but i think the part where i'm qualified to see is i too am a member of society mm-hmm. i would like to see it mm-hmm. improved somewhat uh-huh. and um I think that would be a great step. Otherwise, you know, like I was saying to you before as well, I think even the most ardent right-winger who's massively into, nope, crime, punishment, yep. and and that's and being very matter-of-fact, and it's like, okay, but so if you're conservative um, from, you know, in, in that instance, then I would presume that you're also fiscally conservative and there could be surely no greater way to save money than to stop having this revolving door of pro- arrest, prosecution, yep. and the jail... You're going to be staying there for ages. Right, now you're out. Right, go and offend again. Like, let's intervene. Uh You you said as well about them being given, say... No responsibilities mm-hmm. or shitty jobs. are told now you, you know, you tell you tell somebody something often enough, and they will believe it, and they will yep. start to behave that way. It's, it's kind of like with kids, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> tell them they're good; they'll probably continue to want to be good. Tell them yeah. that you're naughty, you're bad; they're going to continue uh-huh. to do that. They, they'll kind of think, okay, that's that's what I am, so I'm going to behave. In, you're in the that class
0: way. troublemaker, so they go out their way to make all you know. Totally,
1: eh? it's like it's like fitting a role that you've yeah. kind of been been handed. Do, do how do you rec- like recognize? So when you're working. So you're a have you how long have you been working as a private teacher? So have I've you... just
0: finished my probation year. Right, okay. So I had some experience um up in a school called Donaldson's. It was a school with hearing impairments. Um and I worked with that and I always thought that I would go down that route of um, you know, hearing loss and sign language and all that stuff. Um, went to uni and it just happened to be that when I was at uni, my brother had that experience. And it left me with that kind of burning feeling of no, when this turns around, I want to do something with it. Yeah. Um. So I've just finished my probation year there and I've accepted a job to start in August. Um. That brings in the kind of childhood trauma, working with children. I'm, I am I. can't say too much into it, but um, yeah. just, yeah, it, working with children who are in a position where they need that early intervention to give them the positive futures um, and just lightly touching back on the the prison experience that woman I can't take any credit for this quote because she shared it and I've never felt such an eerie silence in a room Um she said that if we pay more attention to the high chair we won't need the electric chair um, and obviously that's from her American perspective and her and offenders brought that together and and she just put it on the screen and it was like
1: Whoa. wow yeah
0: like it, it can always come back to childhood That's well,
1: a really profound and powerful analogy and then um, i have just kind of one It just popped into my head as they often do which is actually really childish in comparison but it's kind of like say you get like a did that because what you said there i just this image just popped into my head it's kind of like i don't know having a toddler and being like here's a bunch of pens i'm going to turn my back for 10 minutes the inevitable happens. And instead of being like, <laughs> here, you don't do that, mate. Yeah. Um, like that. <laughs> instead, of just going mental at them. Mm-hmm. But having no explanation or no recourse to be like, try and teach them the right way. Yep. And then just being surprised when when the inevit- inevitable keeps happening if you don't intervene.
0: Absolutely.
1: Something's going to happen.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you were talking about that recurring cycle of offending and, um, if you look at, say, you take a deprived area and there are no employment opportunities, there are the expectations of what you're going to become in life are so low. And if you look at your social group and they're all going one way, how can you then expect someone to turn around and say, nah, I'm going to, you know, go and make the world of myself? It's... Yeah,
1: and you hear of these stories where it does happen and people are like, wow, that's amazing. See, everybody should just be like, and you're like, hold on a minute. You're asking people to completely contradicting real against basic human psychology yep. of whether it's sort of safety in the crowd the safety in numbers and conformity and mm-hmm. you're, you're basically saying to people go and be like a total neurological exception you like it's I know. quite a rare it's not really going to happen that often um, what the Cisco thing? Yeah, talk to me about that if you don't mind.
0: Absolutely. So, um, I mainly became aware of Cisco. I'd firstly seen it on Twitter, and it, the stuff that they were doing looked amazing. But then, I looked into it more when they were one of the hosts of this Compassionate Prisons project. And basically, Cisco is, a, I think it's a charity organisation, but it's run by incredible people. Um, one of the women involved is called Natalie, and Natalie spoke. She she stood up and spoke at this event and she had reflected on her own experiences and she's a person who has taken her personal life experience and has provided something for other people so Cisco basically are there for anyone who needs a bit of support in terms of addiction or offending or just a real community spirit Um, and even myself I walked into a room full of people who were there to represent Cisco and they came up to me they noticed I was standing myself I just arrived and they came up and they were like oh what's your name like they wanted to know all all about me and they were like right do you like tea here's a cup of tea (laughs) you want a biscuit here you go oh you've not got a biscuit come on take what like just so so nice and then they're saying you need to come along and not just literally they, they couldn't have cared where I'd come from, who I was representing, if I had any part of that event, you know, if I was one of the big guys getting up on the stage and speaking, they couldn't care less. They just wanted to know that I felt included in that room. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of the people I spoke to that day had prison experience themselves and, you know, they, they had a purpose of being there. They had a real reason to be there and it's like, The minute I was standing there thinking, oh, should I actually be here? It was like they they came up to me and just made me feel so welcome. But um, for anyone who wonders, oh, those people sound amazing. Cisco run, it's called the uh, Paradise Recovery Cafe and it's held within Celtic Park and it's a drop in session. You can go between half six and nine. Um, and they've got loads of information on their Facebook. I probably I am. Mean, I'm not even doing it justice because the photos. It's just that so lovely. You can see it on social media, and it welcomes anyone of any background. Um, you know, even if Celtic Park is not your favourite football ground, <laughs> regardless, they will welcome you with open arms. Um,
1: you won't be forced to sing any
0: Celtic songs. <laughs> you won't. Again, no. Yeah, absolutely not, won't. not
1: for everybody. But the service, <laughs> the, the service that they provide is. Because it sounds great to
0: me. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, they say, they advertise it as we are a community recovering from substance misuse, mental health, trauma and homelessness. And through attending that, you can meet some great friends, you can get some recovery. You can sometimes hear other stories. And it's not as if, I don't imagine, you know, you walk in and they say, right, we need to know your whole background for you to be here. You could go and just listen to other people opening up yeah. and that could be enough to help you. Mm-hmm. So there's so many things like that. I just, I know that Cisco are one that deserve all the recognition that they can get because they're just, they're such a selfless organisation. Yeah. Um and I know a lot of it's voluntary and they're just, they're wonderful. They are going to be part of the whole Scott, Scottish Aces movement.
1: Mm-hmm. The, um, like if you look at even, God, I think it may be Finland or Norway, Finland, Norway and Sweden, mm-hmm. yep. Denmark, those are sort of Nordic countries, the way in which they treat prison again, it's not, yeah, there's an element of punishment. Let's be honest, you know, you do something, you're going to need to pay your debt back to society and that's yep. through time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're, their um, statistics or figures of people who who leave the prison system and then return are dramatically lower than ours because they make the effort to, mm-hmm. I suppose, treat them, I've got to say with respect, I'm not... As humans? Yeah, uh, yeah as yeah. humans. I don't want to then imply that the entire yeah. prison system here no, doesn't no, absolutely treat them not. as such. Absolutely. But they look you know, integrating them, education, helping them to gain qualifications. It's like, look, you're in here and when you come out, we would like you to be a positive input to society mm-hmm. so let's let's help make the most of this time and even like from a, a if there are any anybody who's of a particularly strong christian persuasion like i think the bible itself states that you know seek to i think one of the one of the i don't know not a fucking commandment but it's like maybe a <laughs> commandment it's like visit people that are in prison it's one of the it's a very christian thing to do because uh-huh. even there's a there's a verse about it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and none those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. It's like it's kinda of across the board, like it's a positive thing. Um Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's a whole a whole other sort of conversation. Absolutely. Um do you think do you want to do you think you want to stay in education your whole life? Do you think you could see yourself working in any other sort of sector but well using your your um expertise and experience?
0: I think so. I would like to think big and, you know, really trust that I will go down a path that's taking me somewhere for a purpose. Because I do think the struggles that we had when my brother was having these difficult times, I was ready to give up teaching mm. because I, and I'd went to Strathclyde Uni and they were unbelievably supportive. And I remember going to see my lecturer and coming back to this whole... Other people are always going to have bigger problems than you. I was so scared to go to uni and say, listen, I actually can't deal with all this right now. Um, And I was worried that when I went in and explained to them that it was my mental health that was the problem, that they would just say, right, get on with it. Nice try, but keep going. But when I went in, the... The guy had turned around and said to me, he was like, Holly, whether it's your mental health or your physical health, we wouldn't send you into a classroom with a broken leg. We're not going to send you in if your mental health is not strong. Mm. Like, calm down, chill out. It's that's, okay. That's like, nice, that Just do that. so compassionate. And thankfully I got that break away and I had time to spend with my family and recharge my battery so that I could then go back and go back to teaching. And I'm so glad that they listened to me at that point because I could have easily turned my back on becoming a qualified teacher um i do think it'll be along those lines of work but i don't know to stay in a classroom my whole career i don't know we'll mm. see it's,
1: it's like a an invaluable university module you've had like a study module it's like you, <laughs> i know you were given some great work experience <laughs> like, and like you, you can't replicate that like, I, know, I know you really you cannot replicate that you've you've felt the emotions yeah. you know what people are going yeah. through i think you'll be a a, a highly valued member of your profession, and it sounds looks to me, anyway, as if you're going to contribute to to the country in a, an immense way. As a wee side, not. I wish the mental health conversation was around when I was at school. I'd have been like every day. Sorry, Miss McKenna, I'm afraid I'm a bit mentally fatigued, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid you're not going to have any uh, homework for me for the next 86 months. <laughs> Please,
0: <laughs> honestly. Okay, in
1: case anybody gets fucking upset with that, I'm like, kidding.
0: Aye. Well, even the kids. No, I'm not, I, I mean, definitely
1: would have used it. I, mean, I would have the, it.
0: I, Well, people do. <laughs> even I laughed at the kids that I taught just before summer there, before that term ended. They would say to me, do you know, they're so smart about it. And they would go, um, what was it? It was like, they turned around and they were like, well, actually, miss. Um, that's not very inclusive and, and you're actually doing this and I was like, hold on a minute, no, right. I'm making this decision just because you don't want to do it, you yeah. can't bring the whole...
1: There's definitely got to still be the allowance of a, shop, you dick, like, <laughs> even if it's internal.
0: And, uh, yeah, yeah, in your head, like you in that Spanish class, I'm thinking, I alright. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah, you so I used to actually, because they, 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 that's another thing, discipline, mm-hmm. the whole school thing in itself is, is nuts. I think in Spain it's far less regulated than here. I think when you look at the fact that all I got was a, a, just a standard background check that I had to complete in the UK before I went over, but they just leave you in a class with all these kids mm-hmm. and they're very much like, oh, you just take them. I'm just going to nip to the staff room and have a cup of tea and you're like, in no way would that ever happen here. You'd just be left. Even things in this is completely innocent, but the teachers were very affectionate to the kids. Yeah, and We'd kissed them. Giving me kissing the cheek and stuff and they come in and I remember just being really like, whoa. <laughs> so then the flip side is the kids would show affection to you and they'd want to hug and you're like, yeah.
2: I'm
1: tw- I'm a twenty-two-year-old guy, and these are kids at <laughs> ten. And I'm like, oh like seizing <laughs> up, like you feel really uncomfortable. More so for the because you I don't know, you've got a sort of perception of even though I'd never had any teacher training, I was a bit like, This is the boundaries are being crossed. You here. need
0: to keep that, yeah.
1: Aye. And uh but the, the thing I was gonna say is but discipline just know a thing and it's a very continental thing that they're noisy and that's not... People might say, that's an outdated stereotype. like well, not, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I worked with them. It's, <laughs> that is not... It's actually bang on. And, like, they'd shout and scream and all that and sometimes you'd be a bit like, oh, my head's powdered just get me here. It's Friday at 4pm. Mm-hmm. And then a kid would be, I don't know, shouting at you or wanting something and I would probably reply to them in a very Glaswegian way that they wouldn't <laughs> understand They're Like, we man, you're doing my, you didn't. But <laughs> we, the kids are like, okay, like, they, don't, they don't know what you're saying. So I had that outlet. So I probably had it a lot easier than you in dealing with
0: no, but really, kids. but you're right. It's, and for kids, their communication is their behavior. Yeah. And I think so often, and I know that people who work in education, they'll go in and will say, Do you know, it doesn't matter if you're having a shit day you're still that positive adult in their life. And I think that's why I was so thankful to get that time to step back when I wasn't in the right mindset because I hate to think I would turn around and be completely unprofessional if I was so done and I wasn't meeting my own needs that I couldn't then go in and and be the best teacher that I could be. But no, I think um, absolutely and it's so good to see that people are so compassionate within education and the job that I'm heading to um, come August, it's very much we do hugs here and I remember I got hugs as part of my interview oh. and, and it's very much we're a family here and it's, yeah. it's lovely it's everything that I think education should have because at the end of the day yes children come to me during school hours to learn the curriculum to get them prepared for high school and all this stuff but sometimes you know they've rolled out of bed and had a chaotic morning and actually what they're wanting to do is just talk to you yeah. like I, as my man goes to a wee boy who literally his behaviour was always quite quite worrying and he was always quite physical. And But there was one morning that he came in and I had two cereal bars sitting and I'd say, do you want to have a cereal bar with me? And the kid, he hadn't had breakfast. He had a crazy morning. He'd hardly slept. And he was like, I go on then. So we're just sitting just casually, as you would if you're getting ready in the morning for school and your mum's about to take you. And he just like opened his heart and he just told me so much about his life and it was so relaxed and I liked it because I knew that in that moment he didn't see me as his authoritative teacher. It was, oh, she's, do you know, she's nice actually here to listen to me. Show
1: me a bit of kindness.
0: Uh-huh. And it's so important.
1: True to form, my eyes start filling up. So it, <laughs> wouldn't, it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't start, if I didn't start getting upset about something. Do you know, I think, I think, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but twice just not that (laughs) bottle. I can't speak for everybody, but can you can get a good sense of what people feel, and I think people would agree with me saying it's very, it's encouraging, it's nice, it's heartwarming knowing that there's people getting into to that profession who've got the really best intentions and clearly a very kind heart. So that's good. Forgot to ask you. Mm -hmm coverage, the press coverage of your dissertation. You need to tell me about that. Yeah,
0: So that was actually stemmed from when I'd attended the Compassionate Prisons Project. I'd posted on Twitter with this wonderful, wonderful woman, Suzanne Z. Dyke, and anyone who's come across her will know that that woman's energy is just, oh, she's like a ray of sunshine walking into a room. I've never experienced anything like her. Um, I'd posted a photo with her and I'd just basically tweeted out the impact that this attending this event gave to me because hearing about that, when the intervention is almost, it feels it's too late. And when we look at offenders and they're reflecting on their life, sitting in that room as a primary teacher, I thought, right, this is what I need to do. This is my drive. So I tweeted about it just saying how it meant so much to me and, you know, the power of social media. I'd got a message on Twitter from a woman who... Wanted to cover adverse childhood experiences, and I'd asked if I would be able to talk about my kind of personal perspective on it because she had covered the kind of professional side of things, but she had wanted someone reflecting personally and relating it that way. Um, and it was really good. The woman was so lovely. And before I knew it, you know, I was walking into Tesco hunting for an article in the paper. <laughs> And I was like, I just remember walking out. It's like the most newspapers I think I'll ever buy. Walking out of five copies of the newspaper, like ready well, to... If
1: you've got a paper <laughs> round or something. I,
0: passing it out to my family, like page 24, there I am.
1: <laughs> Excellent. That's um, great. That's a great really positive feedback, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. And just even, you know, I'd posted it on my Instagram and people were reaching out saying, it's so good to see that you are wanting to spread the awareness of people speaking up because... Sadly, they can think of people they maybe went to high school with that didn't get that help.
1: We can all, I think we can yeah. all picture some kids. Um th- There's some that stick out in, completely in my mind. My mum's a teacher, yeah. but she only taught in mainstream schools for like like four years or five years. And she qualified in like 1995. She taught in a long time. Um Working, she'll probably resent that comment. She said she's not that old. <laughs> um, but a long time and... So I always heard her stories yeah. of her telling people, um, not reaching any confidentiality, mm-hmm. but you know, she would confide in pals and be like, there's this wee boy, and so I would be sitting listening, and I, I, I also, as a kid, that's another thing, excuse me, kids take in far more than people realise. Oh, absolutely. I'd, I don't know why, I think maybe because I was a really tuned in, switched on kid, and I always wanted to be hearing what adults were talking about, and I'd Pretend to be doing something else, but I'm listening to every single word, mm-hmm. and that's another example of how, for adverse childhood experiences, kids could be listening to things that are really
0: absolutely troubling
1: or, or not what a child should be hearing. But um, I, I would sit and listen to, to her having those conversations and feel real proper like sorrow, mm-hmm. knowing what some children are going through, and maybe things are no it's not my mum's fault. She didn't realise I was listening, but things I maybe shouldn't have heard. Uh-huh, yeah. and just being like, wow, does that happen? Does that take place? I mean, the, and you can all, everybody, every single person listening has probably thought of a person. Yep. And now that I'm saying this, they might have even laughed and went, "Ah, you're right, I did."
2: Oh, yeah. You we, we'll
1: think of that kid, Absolutely. and you might think, "Was I harsh to them? Mm-hmm. Did that was I maybe not understanding, compassionate? I like to. I'd like to think I personally was. I think because I had a heightened sense of awareness mm-hmm. from hearing and be like, "Wow, that kid's not." Let me see a kid that's maybe unkempt or unclean. Yep it's not their fault no absolutely,
0: absolutely not, not their fault absolutely not and it happens way more I was so naive to it until I started gaining placement experiences across different schools different councils and then completing my probation year and just even whether it's your own experience as a teacher or your friends sharing or a relative being yeah. in schools and sharing it and some of the stories you just think I mean I always get this impression from my mum and she won't mind me saying this but my mum's Worked for the NHS for years, and I think she's quite. My mom's quite a tough woman. She's not. Nothing really phases her. And I'll come home, and I'll be like, "Oh, mum, and I'll just like load all this stuff on her, and yeah. she's like, "Oh, that's a shame." Oh, <laughs> and she was yeah, like, that's... "But she has this awareness She has this understanding that it is going on." And I think as a teacher, I take my hat off, and I respect teachers so much because in this day and age. If you go into that profession, you're not always just a teacher. Some days you're a psychologist. Some yeah. days you're a social worker. Some days you're a you're you're making sure they're fed. Some days, you know, you're you're what you've always got that eye out because when it comes to child protection, there's always you're you're always on the ball. And I've heard stories of you're probably I'm probably boring you now with a teaching talk, no, but with play coming in and the whole play is the way and bringing essentially moving away for children for their first couple of years of school anyway bringing in play settings so they'll be naturally role-playing and stuff like that and the stuff that comes out in role-play because take a five-year-old for example they're only used to their own experiences at home so if you've got this wee guy coming in to his classroom and he's in the home corner and he's saying what he's heard his dad say at home you know you're just tied in the classroom and you think oh Jesus Christ, well, yeah. like, what's going on there? Yeah. But the wee boy that he's only going from his own you can only reflect on your own lived experiences. Um so I think it's about it's just about having that awareness and not that if anyone is then thinking, oh you know I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have exposed a child to this. We're only doing what we can and it's all about reflecting, yeah. thinking, right, okay, well I've got that awareness now. Maybe I won't do this or maybe I'll do that differently and yeah, I know that for a fact now I'm a different teacher than I was, you know, in my second year of training. Never mind what hopefully I'll be like in years to come. So
1: See just what you're saying, uh that that's great. I don't have anything to add to that because 'cause you're the expert, so I don't want it to seem as if I'm just <laughs> I'm just going like, all right, cool story, bro. Um you made me think of um see what you're saying, like kids repeating or acting yes. out what they've heard. My mum's pal. Uh, was up at the house for my mum's birthday. Mm-hmm. She might be listening to this, I'm not going to name <laughs> her. <laughs> and you look amazing, by the way. Before I say this, but she was saying that in her, she's teaching kids and they're pretty young. And one of the kids just went, like, I think he said something. to The kid, uh, my dad said blah. And she went, All right, daddy. And she went, I he was saying to my mum that you've put on a load of weight recently. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're just, they're, they're oh, just like no filter, no filter whatsoever. Honestly, and mom,
1: I know. When my mum. When she was teach, we lived in Essex for a while mm-hmm. in like the mid 90s. And she said that she was like saying they were doing a wee, th- a wee exercise. And she's like, And what do your mums and dads call you and stuff? And one of the kid's are like, My mum says I'm a little soldier. And then I was like, My mum says I'm a pain in the arse. <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> probably were, wee man. I think for, oh. the, for the avoidance of any. Uh, confusion. I think the wee boy was very much loved, but yeah, he probably yeah, was just yeah, yeah. a wee pain in the ass. Uh-huh, he nuts. he wasn't an example of something that got a hard time.
0: <laughs> it's so funny. I always remember the kids had said to me, "I'd been having a really, it was just a really tough night at home." And I'd went in the next day, and I always make sure that I'm I go in professional, and I'm always like, I'll leave my problems at the door because I know that at the end of the day, I'm I'm the teacher for these children, and they're my priority. But this day, it's just been a really really tough night, and. My family hadn't got a lot of sleep and I'd went in, I had big bags under my eyes and I hadn't wore makeup that day and I walked in and um, I'm all quiet and the kids come in and they're like, miss, you look brutal. <laughs> and I was like, right, so this is what's Cheers. happened and I was just totally open with them because I yeah. thought, you know, that's important. They're kids. I'm not any miraculous, like untouchable, whatever. Yeah. Emotions affect me because I remember the first time I opened up about being stressed for the kids and they were like, Wow, she gets stressed. That's interesting. I didn't think she would.
1: Your, yeah, your teacher. I remember thinking the teacher was just this. She just lived in the house in the school, <laughs> in the school. and she would get up in the morning, and she knew everything. Yep. And she, she was like really. And I had a teacher that was even great at Mrs Breslin,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: she was amazing at drawing. Like she could have been an artist, man. And she did these <laughs> things with chalk, and I used to be like, wow, this woman just knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, no matter what, you Funny. Do. see, what you say kids, the kids said you look brutal. So, my mum teaches in a school for children with additional support yep. needs, and I've done like various fundraising things kind of over the years, and therefore, I've had in the past and now struck up a really great relationship with the school. Yeah, so kind and welcoming and warm, and, and would allow me to come in and spend time in the class and all that. And I have to say, like, the most humbling thing I remember the first day I ever went, I just came back and cried my yeah. eyes at man, when I get away because it was kids with a variety of challenges across the board, whether the physical limitations, um, any sort of uh, cognitive sort of issues in terms of their, those various abilities, but they also had no filter. <laughs> I remember like the first day, I remember what I was wearing, I was dressing all black and I had this nice sort of trench coat on mm-hmm. and uh, also very tanned because I'm just back from Spain. <laughs> and I'm standing in the class and I'm pretty nervous and all these, you know it's like when you're in a school I can remember being at school if it's somebody who's not usually there you're like who's this? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. What is this? And uh, kids are looking and kind of whispering and I don't think they realised who it was and then one of them's walked in just pure bold as brass and he went alright mate and I was like <laughs> so I went alright mate who are you? And he went aye listen uh, who are you? <laughs> so I just went <laughs> I went oh I'm I'm uh um, your teachers—I so don't know if you're my names in case I identifies. Any school. Aye, aye, So your I'm teacher, like, I, I'm your uh-huh. teacher's son. Uh-huh. And then, oh right, right, right. And I tell you honestly, I was like, I felt as if I was talking to a wee guy who's been like a barista trader for like forty years. And he went, "All right, no, it's just that somebody out there said there was uh, some famous guy was in, but I knew you were just a complete nobody." And then just just walked past me. I was like, "Fucking oh, wow. hell!" Talk about getting cut down to size. Mate, absolutely, and then I just went and sat down, quite the thing. And then another th- well, I was walking down a corridor, and my mum was taking me to kind of put me in the staff room to get a cup of tea, and it was mm-hmm. this kid had been maybe sent to the office or mm-hmm. something. And then my mum's like, kinda of brought her over and dead nice, we on just this nice wee interaction I went, This is this is Sean. Uh. And she just looked up at me, looked me up and down, <laughs> and then went, You look like the Mormons that come to your door. <laughs> 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 I, like, I didn't know you got Mormons in Scotland. <laughs> then I feel walked away again. I was like, What does a Mormon look like? Now, if I had any ego when, <laughs> I, walked, when I walked into that building, it was sure as hell was stripped oh, away from me when I walked out. And I, I just, love it. There's, there's loads of stuff like that. I, <laughs> I, love it. I can't, off the top of my head now, I can't even remember them. Um, but I just cannot remember some of the things. I know
2: it's so. There's so, so something
1: they say to my mum as well they just probably just don't think but it's the innocence of kids so I suppose if they like you you know they really like you yeah
0: oh they'll be brutally honest that's when I was applying for this new job um, the kids were part of the interview which I absolutely loved but it was nerve wracking because I thought I was saying to my boss at the time I said they're your harshest critics like if they don't like your answer you will know by their face it's not as if they think oh I better be respectful and not give anything away they'll be like nah move on (laughs) like (laughs) next
1: Funny man, there's another just to, I'll not keep boring with this, but there's, um, oh, sorry, email. Um, there's one of the kids communicates solely, and honestly, that's get we guys like my spirit animal, yeah, but he only really can communicate through still game quotes. I love it, <laughs> swear to God. Now, there's I a, it. there's a, um, he, my mum said once he was kind of coming in late and he's burst in the door and just went, two pints, prick. <laughs> And then sat down in his chair, and my mum was like,
2: <laughs> "Oh my god!" And
1: uh, there was a time I'd walked in as well. Now to set the scene, Jack and Victor walk in to the the clansman and Bobby, the barman goes, "Oh look, who it is! It's Bill and Ben." And the response is, "So I've walked in, and I've walked into the class, and this wee boy just looked up at me, looked up at me, and went do whiskeys, ya flobberdog and nobs.'" <laughs> and I was feeling like I've been falling oh, apart laughing I love laughing. it I there I was one it. I can't remember what it was right but my mum was uh, she had a class uh, she was doing a lesson and I think they might have been discussing the holocaust mm-hmm. I'm sure it was that it was something equally as like yeah like, well, like uh-huh. plate, earth shattering plate shifting yeah and she said that you know the wee boy often pays attention and you can tell he's taking things in but he won't give you a very direct response yep. I think my mum was talking about it and stuff and he was all, like, wistful. My mum's now going to phone me when she hears this and be like, no, you've told the story wrong. But it (laughs) was along those lines anyway. And he's, like, really staring up and he's kind of looking at her. And you could tell he's, like, taking it in and he's processing it. I remember she's speaking directly to him. She's like, "And do you have any questions for me? And he just kind of looked up and went, yeah, why do crabs walk sideways? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, to said she really liked, and he did that. Like his hands, and then moved to the side. Why the crabs walk side? He was, you like that's oh, oh, funny. kids, are I
0: love it honestly, and that's what do you know? Anyone who works with kids, or even if you've got young kids or relatives, or if your friends have got wee ones, and they're just they bring so much happiness. Like, yeah. uh my class had got really worried because we'd had like an unplanned fire alarm, and they got themselves proper worried and i'd said like it's okay you can ask me questions and as much to my knowledge i'll answer if i can about fire safety and all that and then before i know it this wee guy's like proper racking his brain similar to what the crab story the wee boys like really needing to ask and he's like they're saying you know what if the fire exit's blocked genuine genuine questions like what if we're not with you when the fire alarm goes off all this stuff and the boy goes around like genuine genuine worry on his face and goes but what if the floor is lava (laughs) i was just like what and he wouldn't believe me that that's not like that's that's not not something but he's convinced that you know how Oh, just that whole living in that kid's world like it's so good to think that that's where their minds are at that genuinely if they believe something it is true it's
1: funny it's like a sort of resilience that kids have got as well there's actually there's a funny story talking about my favourite subject, me, people are like, here he goes again. (laughs) But um, I had got, right, so the first to preface this, I was told when I, so I moved back up to England and I was told when I had my first day at my primary school in Glasgow that your teacher, oh, your Uncle Brian had him. And once he misbehaved and uh, the teacher put him by his collar and hung him up on the coat pig. And I was like, did this happen or is this like a fucking urban myth or they just try to bam me up? (laughs) Yeah. See, about a year, a year and a half later, right, so I would have been 10, 9, 10 and, uh, I basically had, oh, I had some news or I'd Mm -hmm. been told something that I maybe had been unaware of my whole life and it's a big deal for a wee Mm -hmm. boy to process and all that and maybe some lifelong questions that I'd had had finally been answered and it was a lot to take in and my auntie took me took me out for a walk and we walked all the way around like her estate and Rob Royston I, mean, I stopped had a wee drink of juice she's telling me more and she's like just this is a lot for you to take in a lot to understand and said I'm proper staring at the ground the whole time as I walking, and then I've got my furrowed brow which showed that I was really deep in thought mm-hmm. and she's like and you you don't need to worry about anything and I'll answer any questions you've got anything, anything you want to ask me I'll tell you the truth just if you want to talk about it she went so if you get any questions for me she said I've stopped looked kind of wistfully at the ground then looked up and I went did Uncle Brian really get hung on the back of the door by his <laughs> by his uh, his jumper his collar oh that's the only uh,
0: answer you've I, right, she looked moment. and she's like
1: this wee guy does not give a shit man like <laughs> he just <laughs> and then I like, she's she went back to the house and like to my family and be like, he's fine, by he the way. Yeah,
0: nothing to he worry about. He doesn't care.
1: Like, that, was what, that was what was on my mind the entire time. I thought, right, yeah. now's the chance. Get the truth. Get Absolutely. the truth. Yeah. So, like, Absolutely. So kids, kids are, they, they are fucking, they are and resilient, man.
0: They're so resilient. They're so, and that's what gives, you know, hope because yes, a child might be put through the worst upbringing and they've got such challenging experiences, but there's always like time to take control of it. As long as you're in control of how your experiences have affected you, I think you're always winning as long as you're in control. And whether that's, it doesn't need to be the whole, you know, go see a counselor, go get medication, go do this. If that doesn't work for you, that's fine. Like I know that my brother hasn't been to counseling yet, but he finds that channeling his energy into something positive Helps him, yeah. and if that's, do you know, find your own way that yeah. helps you.
1: And if we if we all intervene in either small ways and big ways, then we can take positives and good outcomes from the negatives.
0: Absolutely, probably
1: a, a good place to sort of round up. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much. This, is,
1: this has been great fun. It has. How happy you'd be featured on your eighth favorite podcast. Today. <laughs> Work.
0: no I can't even say that I was a member of the audience at St Luke's that night me oh, and yeah, uh huh. Uh-huh. are you
1: coming to the next live show I will
0: be we loved it it was I saw maybe top three you no,
1: know <laughs> I've never been top three fucking ever in my life I'll take it <laughs> no thank you for coming
0: thank you so much
1: uh, and to you listening if you've enjoyed it I've never actually said this why not leave a positive review why not tell a power if you've enjoyed it send it to somebody to listen to because it all helps but thank you for listening we'll be back same time next week for another episode of Bletherd. cheers
0: Bletherd was written recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light music and post production by Brian McAlpine and for more information go to thebiglight.com if you like this podcast please check out all our other series including Talk Media Natural Wonders You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on The Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From The Big Light Studio.